if you like betting on golf. But everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved. With all the stats and the tips and so much more, cause it's the golf betting system, the golf betting system, it's the golf betting system. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 165. This is our 2021 PGA Championship in-depth research episode. Barry O'Hanran and Paul Williams join me, Steve Bamford, to discuss the second major championship of 2021. Hello, gentlemen. Afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world famous golf betting system website with our in depth betting previews, masses of tournament statistics, and our predictor models, all available completely free of charge with no paywall. Please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. We're available on Twitter. Paul is at Golf Betting. I am at Bamford Golf. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Now, you guys as listeners power this podcast, so we need your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts as ever. For those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of a future show. And in this case, it will be next Tuesday's PGA Championship show. So leave your five-star reviews, and I'll read them out next Tuesday on the PGA Championship pod, which is going to be an absolute humdinger. Leave your name and where you are in the review. I've got one here, gents. Five stars. It's from Ozzy Lockie. He is in the UK. Hello, gents. Really enjoyed the podcast each week with the key info taken from it being the backdated course form, greens, type of players that do well, and key metrics to look for. Using that, I form my own opinions based on what I feel is most important outside of that and punt any, uh, punt away. Normally four to five bets a week with the staking plan based on one placed golfer equaling money back or close to with a win, the bonus... And this works very well. Please keep up the great work. And that is from uh, Ozzy Lockie in the UK. Thank you very much, Ozzy. Fantastic. Yes, thanks, Ozzy. Yeah, I I, I like the logic. I tend to work on a similar kind of um, basis myself that if if one of your players gets into the paying places, then your week's covered. And then when you get get the wins, then uh, that's where the bonus time comes in. Or if one of your... One of your long shots comes in, and uh, 150 or 200 to one place can uh, can be as good as a win, really, can't it? Mm. Absolutely, it's, it tends to be the, uh, the the best way of doing things. Uh, yeah. If you can get that, if you can get that each way spot that kind of covers the week, um, and if you can get a long shot that clearly comes in and pays out, you can you can more than cover. But um, let's talk PGA Championship. That's what the listeners are here for. Um, 2021 edition, a little bit different. In fact, the majors this year are very different, aren't they? We've clearly got uh, the Open down at Sandwich in Kent. We've got the US Open at Torrey Pines on the Pacific Coast in California. 
And the next major, being the PGA Championship, is on the Atlantic coast, down in South Carolina. We've been here before. It's Kiowa Island. It's the ocean course, and it's a bit of a beast. Um, it's a par 72. And yeah, 7,876 yards in length. <laughs> at sea level, I won't even. But I won't even bother with the sea level because that's fairly, <laughs> yeah, fairly obvious. But yes, it's a beast. Yeah, it's... it's the longest quoted golf course in major championship history. And I guess it's um, you know, what was the last time we here? Twenty twelve, wasn't it? Um, Twenty twelve. Yeah, and there've been a few tweaks to it since then, but it it played long back. Back in the day, then too, didn't it? But um, it was interesting to see a real mix of players actually make it through you know, into contending positions last uh, well, last time um, back in twenty twelve. So obviously, there's different ways that uh, players can get get the job done. But on paper, seven thousand eight hundred whatever yards is a is an absolute brute, as you just described it. If the wind blows. In any way, shape, or form, it's going to be a tough old test. There's no doubt about that. Um, the greens, well, it's it's a it's a fascinating course. It's a Pete Dye design. Uh, he designed it originally with his wife in 1991. There was a 2011 renovation prior to the PGA in 2012, which Rory McIlroy won. And then Scott Sherman has performed a 2019 renovation, which has added a little bit of length. But in the main, um, Scott has explained it in various articles to say he was constantly liaising um, with the dies. He was liaising with the tournament, um, the tournament organisers. Uh, Kerry Haig, of course, the PGA Championship, um, what they uh, is director of competition. And it was more of a um, clean-up operation, effectively, because it's literally next to the coast, next to the beach. A lot of it was tidying, reforming bunkers, making sure that you know sand over time encroaches on parts of the course that you don't want it to encroach on, and a lot of that kind of work went on. There was also um, a lot of work done to get back to where they were in 1991 in terms of of extending the hazards back more centrally into the course and especially the driving areas, which will be music to the ears of the players. And, and when I say hazards, that can be water, that can be waist-high fescue, it can be a whole manner of things. Very deep bunkers. So uh, they, they, they've, they try to tighten the golf course up from a driving perspective as well just to add a little bit more woe to, uh, to to the players. The fairways are sea spray paspalum. The greens are sea island supreme paspalum. And the rough that there is, is quoted as Bermuda grass. It's bound to be deep. It's a PGA championship. But where there isn't Bermuda grass, as I said, there is all manner of rather more natural hazards to try and avoid. Mm. We've got a few um, few passable and greened tracks dotted around the circuit, haven't we? Both 
both over on the PGA Tour and the European Tour um, to to dig into. So if you're interested in trying to find out players who perform better on various types of uh, greens or particularly these these types of Paspalum greens, then you um, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. Corrales Championship, um, Puerto yeah. Rico Open, the yeah. Mike Hober as well over on the PGA Tour. Um, TPC Kuala Lumpur, which used to host the CIMB Classic and hosted a few of the European Tour events in the back in the day as, as well. Mm. Um, yep. And then you've also got some European Tour uh, venues that we've seen quite recently. Gran Canaria, which was only two or three weeks ago. That was uh, Passport Greens. Education City for the Qatar Masters. Uh, various events in Mauritius over the years. We've also got the Saudi International, which has been running for, for two or three years, um, which usually attracts quite a decent field. So you'll find a few of a fair few of the players in the field here this week, um, coming up next week, of course. Um, that have played in Saudi over the last few years. Um, and the Oman Open as well is another one with Paspalum Greens. So uh, th- there is a fair amount of digging that can be done if you uh, want to try and find some correlation between players who perform on those greens and uh, and who might likely putt well next week. Um, I'm going to refer to my research preview, which is up at golfbettingsystem.co.uk. It's available off the homepage. I will put a link into the podcast description for um, various different outlets that allow live links. But just type PGA Championship Tips into your search engine. You will find the research preview. Interesting points that I noted from various bits of research. In essence, Kerry Haig, who we mentioned, the, uh, the, the director of tournaments at the PGA of America, wants this to play from the tips. And they added an additional 172 yards to the golf course. Most, but not all, of that distance has been added to the par fours later in the round, with the 12th hole being the most significant, jumping from 412 yards in 2012 to 484 yards for 2021. The maintenance work to see the ocean course fit for the 2021 PGA Championship, also included expansion of native areas within the course. A few what are classified as sandy blowouts were recreated in some dunes. Those blowouts are akin to what we see at Whistling Straits, which of course hosted the 2010 and 2015 PGA Championship and will be hosting the 2021 Ryder Cup later this year. That again is another Pete Dye design and we all remember 2010 and Dustin Johnson in what was a rather um, sandy position on the 18th touching his club and getting a two-stroke penalty. Um Take the par 5 7th hole where a waste area has been brought into play on the right side of the hole to make the design as close to what Dye originally designed back in 1991. The greens themselves were left alone from a size and contour perspective but naturally all the greens were relayed with fresh Sea Island Supreme Paspalum. I don't know, it's... uh... The first three holes of the course are where players can take advantage with a couple of sub-400 yard par fours. So you've got to get off to a good start on your round. That's where the scoring holes are. Sandwiching a shortish par five. From there, the course features a set 
of long iron par threes, the shortest of which is 197 yards. The other three measure 207, 238 and 233. Undoubtedly, the very best iron players will be the ones that thrive here. And it doesn't get any easier with the bulk of the par fours later in the round. Six of them are over 450 yards, with two more, two more par fours measuring 514 and 505 yards to end each set of nine holes. With two par fives, namely the 11th and 16th, playing at almost 600 yards into the prevailing wind, post the, uh, post the opening three holes, the ocean course... Apart from the opening to the round, there is no easy stretch of golf. PGA Championship is always famous for stretching long um, American-style golf courses, and this is this is no different in essence. The only difference being, of course, it's situated on the Atlantic coast of South Carolina, and. Whatever you read, whatever you listen to, they say that this ch this chunk of land is so exposed that the smallest of breezes can make a hell of a difference to the scoring and just the way that the golf course plays. What was the winning score last time, Steve? The winning score was... Uh, I'm scrolling. I remember Rory won by eight, didn't he, so... Um, I'm just trying to put into I context think, what... Did so you get to uh, 16? Yeah. Oh, so 13. 13 under. I got it here. 13 under David 13 Lynn, 5. Under. And Keegan Bradley, 4. So, no, that puts so it into he, context. He just won by the 8 shots, yeah? Oh, but, yeah. Just just for out of interest, Rory shot a 75 in round 2 and still finished 13 under. <laughs> so, if you take Rory out of the equation, then the next best was 5 under, which... Put, I think that does put into context how tough the course can be. I remember back back in 2012, there were some um, rain delays, weren't there? There were some yeah. some weather issues, so it clearly a didn't lot of play. boomers. Yeah, yeah, it didn't it didn't play um, easy. And as you said, if they do get some weather come in at all, um, any kind of wind, then it's going to make what is already a tough track even tougher. I think um, should be a good I test. They always say Kerry Kerry Hague always says he doesn't have a particular score um, target score, but a lot of them ended around that 12, 12 under kind of area, just because they're playing some of the best golf courses in the world, or certainly in the in in, in the United States. So yeah, uh, we have no strokes gained data from twenty twelve, unfortunately. But I can assure you that Rory McIlroy was extremely positive off the tee and with his approaches. He also quoted in a interview I heard from Quail Hollow last week prior to the event that he actually remembers the week, and this I think is more akin to the way he plays golf. He expects himself to be hitting the ball long, straight, and hitting tons of greens. He said he had an absolutely phenomenal week with both the putter and the scrambling, and that is actually available when you just look at the stats. He was first for scrambling at seventy five percent, and he was tenth for putts per GIR putting average. Eighth for total driving, seventh for ball striking, seventh for total putting. Yeah, very solid all-round performance then. He hit two in three greens, 66.67%. He was 13th in the field for greens in regulation. David Lynn, of all people, was second, as we said. He averaged 276 yards off the tee, which made him 44th in the field. But he did hit... Uh, 
68.1% of greens. He was eighth in the field for greens. And if actually you look at the top, uh, I mean, Blake Adams of all people. Blake Adams, whatever happened to him? He finished seventh. He was third for GIR. The best of the week was Justin Rose. Probably won't surprise you back in the day. He was such an absolute tee to green animal. He was first for greens in regulation, 73.6%. Yeah, it's still not massive, is it? It isn't. And I, you know, there was a level of wind in there, there was a level of bad weather. But um, I don't think it's going to be a situation where you're seeing the leaders hitting 80 plus percent of greens, unless it's particularly tranquil. You actually think it through. The greens aren't that large. The greens themselves are at. Um, we're looking at 6,000 square feet on average, yeah? Now, the, the greens they're playing this week at Craig Ranch, which is a golf course that is at sub 7,500 yards this week in Texas, they're 7,000 square feet. So this is a far longer golf course with far more um, undulations and with, you know, typical kind of... Um, Uneven fairways and the and the like. And the greens which are have, elevated, which are elevated greens and smaller greens than we're seeing at the PGA Tour this year, this week. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun watching approach shots go into elevated greens there if there's any sort of wind at all, because it just just makes the target that much smaller. Yeah. Scrambling, guys. I'm hearing scrambling being a key a key thing for us to focus on for next week. Well. If 60, you know, high 60s, low 70s is the absolute maximum you're likely to get in terms of greens and regulation, mm-hmm. then then yes. If you're, you're missing two, you know, a third of all greens, then you're going to have to have a pretty sharp short game. And I guess that marries up well to players that tend to play well by the coast anyway or in kind of windy conditions or a combination of the two. If you look at David Lynn, I mean, he, he, you know, he was um, a surprise in that position, I'm sure. Uh, back in 2012. Oh, that was a that was a career change, wasn't it? It, it got him on the PGA Tour the next. It got him on the PGA him, Tour it, the next year. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a, a massive. Um, you know, compared to to where or what he'd achieved in the past. I mean, he did have two European Tour wins, and you, you could you could draw something out of both of those. One of them was at the uh, the KLM Open, which is at uh, the Lynx style track at Hilversum. Um, over there in um, in Holland, and also the Portugal Masters at Villamora. So you, with both of those, you know, Villamora um, coastal track, um, you got you got some logic that you could draw from both of those wins to suggest why David Lynn might go well. But even so, um, you, you look at the track on paper, and you'd you'd probably put a line straight through him in terms of driving distance from the very outset. Rory McIlroy was first for scrambling. David Lynn was fourth. Mm. Another guy that was in tied third, and there were three or four of them, being Keegan Bradling, Kyle Pettersson, and Ian Poulter with Justin Rose. Pettersson, who barely hit a green all week, was seventh for scrambling and putted the lights out. So it, I think there'll be various ways of, of managing to get the ball around and in the hole, but Ultimately, it's. I'd be amazed if a short hitter won on a seven thousand nine hundred yard golf course. It has to be said. The other thing that's worthy of note from twenty twelve. Steve Stricker was in the top ten. Blake Adams of all people was in the top ten. We had 
Keegan Bradley, who was third. The rest were all European. Peter Hansen, Jamie Donaldson, not the straightest of drivers, eh, Jamie Donaldson? Justin Rose, Ian Poulter, Carl Pettersson, although you could argue he was American, I suppose. He, he's he based in America. You also had, um, I know he's a Swede, clearly, but we also had David Lynn and, of course, Rory McIlroy. So a lot of European influence in that top 10, with only Stricker, Blake Adams, and Keegan Bradley being the American players within it. I don't think it's going to be a course for the faint-hearted. I really don't. It doesn't scream. Um, I'm trying not to prejudge players. Um, I don't know. You've got. You've just got to have that real men, major mentality. You know, this this in no way, shape, or form is going to be your typical PGA Tour shoot to five feet on receptive greens kind of golf tournament. A lot of patience, resilience, bounce-back yes. ability. Just th- th- those things, yeah, like I said, those real major championship factors that just need to be amped up the extra few percent that week. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm also seeing Joost is toast Lauten on the edge of the top 20. So that, that's kind of telling you a few things as well. When you've got Joost close to a top 20. And our friend yeah. Padre Harrington made the top 20 as well. Even John Daly, of all people. But then, if you look, you, that, those names again, Joost Lauten's won on a number of links, links or coastal-style tracks over on the European Tour over the years. Uh, yep. Padraig Harrington is clearly a multiple Open Championship winner. It's you know there's some correlation there, particularly if you're digging mm. into coastal tracks um, with with all without Pasper and Greens. I think there's there's going to be some some angles to really dig into there from uh, from history both sides of the Atlantic over the last few years. I think some kind of cross reference with the Open Championship wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? No, no. No, there's some, there's some, certainly some logic there. I mean, Stevie Strick has done well in in uh, opens, isn't he? He, he? Didn't he pop up a few, like just a few years ago? He putted the lights out and got a top six in one of the one of the open championships. Yeah, I, I guess the, the the difference will be that the the tracks that tend to be used for the opens are, are nowhere near as long as uh, seven thousand eight hundred odd yards, like a thousand yards shorter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, whistling straight. Yeah, but, the, but you're but what? Yes, but they're coastal golf course at the end oh, yeah. of the day, and you just yeah. said it exactly. Peter Hansen's done well in Open. Stricker's done well. Um, Rosie's done well, though it's not one of his most famous. We know that Rory's won Opens. Um, there's definitely that angle to it. Keegan Bradley had also done well on the coast prior to 2012. Or, or he certainly, you know, you, you look at him; he's played well on places like Torrey Pines, for example. So, I think there's various routes into this. From a uh, from a from a, pers- a perspective of that ilk, I don't know. I mean, the one thing I I mean I try to link, and it's not the easiest of tasks. How do you link um, David Lynn, who finished second, to Rory McIlroy? And David Lynn only really had one season on the PGA Tour, and that was twenty thirteen after this career changing second place at the PGA Championship. 
and the, the 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 two courses I could see where there was an overlapping correlation. 2013 was the season that David Lynn played on the PGA Tour. He finished fourth at PGA National, which is the Honda Classic. And as we know, the Honda Classic, very popular with Europeans, windswept, tough, technical, always very high scoring. He was also the runner-up at the classical Carolina golf course at Quail Hollow, which they played last week, the World's Fargo Championship. There is a lot of crossover when you look at PGA National Honda Classic leaderboards and Wells Fargo. That just happens. I mean, Rory McIlroy's one at one run at one at both. That's a very obvious one. I even noticed last week podcast favourite Gary Woodland popped up with a top five finish at Quail Hollow, and he has finished second at the Honda Classic in the past. There's a hell of a lot of crossover between the Honda Classic, for whatever reason, and the Wells Fargo they play at Quail Hollow. Those are the two courses that I could see. Expand the results of these two courses out to other 2012 contenders, Keegan Bradley, Ian Poulter and Justin Rose, and the results are pretty striking. McElroy has finished first and second at PGA National. Lynn's finished fourth. Bradley has finished fourth there. Pulp has finished third at PGA National. Rose has finished third, fourth and fifth. And when you look at Quail Hollow, McElroy has finished first three times now. He's finished second there and eighth. Lynn finished second there. Pulp has finished fifth at Quail. And Rose has finished third, third and fifth at Quail Hollow. Uh, I also discovered this morning, I actually, Carl Peterson has also had a top 10 at Quail Hollow. So, you know, if you're looking at correlating courses, um, there, you know, that angling isn't a bad one. The other thing I noticed with Carl Peterson was Carl Peterson had won previous to um, contending here. Or he's, he's, he's won at the RBC Heritage, which they play at Harbour Town, just down the coast. Yeah. And he's also won. Yeah, Pete Dietrack, and he's also won the Valspar Championship. It wasn't called that when he won it, but you get the drift. The Chrysler Championship, I think it was called back then. He's won that on the Copperhead course, another what I classify as Carolina golf course, even though it's in Florida, mm-hmm. but it's a shape. The way it plays is Carolina-esque. Yeah, style, yeah. So any you know roots in here, um, players that play Harbortown well, players that play Val- uh, Copperhead well, players that play Quail well, this linked to PJ National as well. I think there's definite angles in terms of you know correlating course form that way. Hmm. The other thing we always get with the PJ Championship, and that um, isn't going to be quite as easy this year because we're not playing the WGC the week before, is that players seem to find real hot form or find their tee to green chops on the outing before they then went win the PGA Championship. The one example we have got of a non-WGC being played before the the PGA Championship was 2019, where Brooks Brooks Koepka even finished fourth at Trinity Forest in Texas at the AT&T Byron the week before lifting the Wanamaker Trophy. And uh, last year, we did have a WGC the week before, the one at St. Jude. Uh, Colin Morikawa finished 20th in that. He did, though, finish with a 67-66 across the weekend as he headed 
over to California where he went on to win the PGA Championship. So some kind of form, some kind of um, low scoring and some really good key strokes gain tee to green, greens in regulation kind of numbers is, I think, pretty essential for a winner of the PGA Championship. I mean, it all makes perfect sense when you're going to a very long testing golf course on your next appearance. Colin Morikawa was 20th at the WGC at St. Jude. He finished third that week for greens in regulation, and he was 21st for tee to green. Brooks Kepka, as I said, was at the AT&T Byron Nelson the week before he won. He came fourth. He was eighth for greens in regulation. He was sixth for, uh, for strokes gain tee to green. And Brooks Kepka in 2018, before he won his first PGA Championship, was fifth in his previous event, which again was a WGC. He was first that week for greens in regulation, and he was first for strokes gained tee to green. The last four winners of the PGA Championship have all finished with single-digit greens in regulation numbers on their outing prior to winning. Morikawa third, Kepka eighth, Kepka first, Justin Thomas sixth. It's a shame, really, that uh, the scheduling has changed because that, that Bridgestone link or the, the WGC the week before link was such a strong um, indicator yeah. of impending success. And, of course, now, without the WGC, um, there's a, a big chunk of the field next week that aren't playing um, over at the Byron Nelson. So, yeah, I, I guess you just need to consider whether that means you're looking at the last... The, the, yeah, the yeah. last performance rather than the, the prior week. Yeah, last performance. I, I would take on board anything at Valspar, anything at um, Quail Hollow last week Quail for Hollow. sure, and anything this week as well. Mm. If you're looking at that kind of number, I'm yeah. just I'm just trying to look at some. I mean, high GIR play. Abraham Anser was first for greens in regulation last week at Quail. Corey Connors, Francesco Molinari, Rory McIlroy were third for GIR. Aaron Wise was fifth. C.T. Pan, your old friend, Paul, he was sixth. John Rahm was sixth. No. <laughs> we had we had Charles Svartzel, tenth, with Keith Mitchell. He's not playing Mitchell. Uh, Russell Knox, he's not playing. Victor Hovland squeaks into the top ten. Tenth for G- GIR at Quail Hollow last week. Uh, I'm going back P- to the pub- Early public service announcement. The three of us are kind of sweet on Victor for next week. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot to like, isn't there? There is a lot to like with him. Paul Casey on his last... <laughs> you'll love this. Paul Casey <laughs> on his last outing, which was the Valspar, was 11th for Greens in regulation. Uh, Brandon Grace was sick that particular week. Keegan Bradley in fourth spot. Bradley's playing some fantastic golf right now, isn't he? But has he got the mentality still to... To contend in majors when he struggles to have the mentality to to hang about on PGA Tour events. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. That putter is so flimsy, isn't it? Is you know, it can just absolutely disappear in terms of you know missing three, two, three footers, and you're not going to be able to afford to do that in a in a major like this with with the world's best snapping at your heels. We are clearly recording this before the AT&T Byron Nelson, so there will be a lot more data to chew through with quite a lot of good big-name players in that this week. Colin Morikawa, the defending champion on his last appearance at Harbour Town, the RBC, 
was top was the number one for greens in regulation. Tied with a name I keep seeing in a lot of my analysis, who plays fantastically well by the coast, Stuart Sink. Mm. He's playing some great stuff right this season. He's Sink. Is uh, I, I, when I flicked through the stats um, earlier today, he was one of the eye catchers for me. Oh wow! Um, yeah, hundred and fifty to one, Stuart Sink. Um, obviously, one they the heritage, which um, as we talked about yeah. before, die track. Just the three times, Paul. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, most recently, yeah. Um, mm. Second, oh, the stat that got me second for, uh, for approach or greens and regulation from two hundred yards and above for the season today. And you look at the metrics of this track. A lot of you know, and particularly the par threes as well. They're going to be you know a fair number of approach shots that are on or around that kind of two hundred yard mark this week. And he currently yeah. sits sits second for greens and regulation from two hundred plus yards for the season. So, so yeah, I, you know, looking at just a couple of um, simple metrics, he, he he ticks a few boxes. Twenty fourth for driving distance as well, which uh, you know even at his advancing years, I mean, he's not far off the senior tour, is he? But uh, still, put it out there, the Stuart Sink. I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm just going to reference what Rory McIlroy did the outing before he won hmm. here in 2012. He was fifth at Akron, the WGC. He was second for greens in regulation, and he was second for strokes gained tee to green. And then he added, he added what a good putter and good around the green performance, as he quoted himself the week yeah. of the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty Just lethal combination when you're hitting it well tee to green, and then also saving your butt around on and around the greens. Yeah, yeah it tends to work, doesn't it? Yeah, it usually wins, right? <laughs> We watch a lot of um, golf, as as you know, as we do need to. Who has been spanking the ball really nicely recently? I mean, as we, Victor Hovland's clearly one. Stuart Sink is another. He's been playing some fantastic stuff. I'm just digging into here. Um, he was 13th for scrambling and 27 for putting average at Akron, and then he just shaved a few more. Percentages off that to to claim the PGA Championship by eight shots the week later. He was in great nick, twenty to one. Looking back, what a price! What an absolute steal, twenty to one on Rory McIlroy. Uh, I was actually on board that week. I was actually on board. I tipped him up, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe. I have had quite a few winners in the PGA because it is one of those ones I think you can work through. Yeah. Yeah, now there's some logical lines of attack that you can take with it as well, and you've got the Pete Dye aspect this um, this time around as well. Um, we've been working on some strokes gained by Pete Dye um, tracks um, for the last few days, and uh, they'll hopefully we'll have a, a page to push out um, alongside this podcast later tonight or, or tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that, which uh, gives an indication to those players who've got um, strong strokes gained metrics on various Pete Dye tracks over the last few years as well. Um, I'll be quite boring, but I'll list out Pete Dye tracks for listeners. Get your pen and paper ready. Austin Country Club, where they've played a WGC Dale match play since 2016. Crooked Stick, they played the 2012 and 2016 BMW Championships. I know Dustin Johnson won one of those. I think Rory won the other. 
Harbour Town, clearly, RBC Heritage. Um, TPC River Highlands, where they played the Travellers Championship every year. Keegan Bradley has done well there. TPC Louisiana, where they play that silly team event, but they used to play the Zurich Classic of New Orleans there as a singles event. TPC Sawgrass, of course, the Players' Championship, another tournament that Rory McIlroy has gone on to win. TPC Stadium, which is the P, uh, PJ West, where they play the American Express since 2016. And Whistling Straits, 2010 and 2015 PGA Championships, which we mentioned close to the top of the show. I know for a fact... Um, we will. You've got that fan. We um, Barry and I have managed to see a little sneak preview of that strokes gain data by Pete Dye. Of course, it's it's fabulous stuff. I'm looking forward to uh, the listeners and readers being able to to go through that. But one player that does catch my eye, and he never wins, but he does have. Uh, well, he, to be fair, he's been close in majors recently. He's Abraham Answer, isn't it? Fifty to one, you can get on Answer right now. Yeah, and he topped greens in regulation at Quail last week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Answers. Um, answer sits sixteenth on my list. So I, I, t- I tell you what I'll do. I'll read uh, just to give you a flavour. Strokes gain total on those peak diet tracks that you've just listed through. Where where does strokes gain data uh, going back to when strokes gain data started? So it doesn't include. What, the, what year did this start, Paul? Um, twenty sixteen. We've got some uh, some data going back to. So um, wow, okay. you've. Um, Things like the uh, the match play, you haven't got any data there because clearly no. um, that, that doesn't uh, you, you don't grab anything from that. But um, with some of the other um, the other tracks, there's uh, there's bits of data to accumulate. So um, working in reverse order from tenth, then the tenth Siwoo Kim, uh, no surprise really with his um, with his uh, players championship win. Matt Kuchai nine, um, Kuchai's got a great record on die tracks as we've as we've seen. Uh, Paul Casey in eight, Webb Simpson seven, Tommy Fleetwood in six, Patrick Cantlay five, Jason Day is in fourth, Bryson DeChambeau third, second is Adam Scott. You going to be putting Adam Adam Scott up next week, Stan? No. <laughs> Adam Scott is dead to me in uh, majors, as is Sergio Garcia. They will never appear again. They're on your post-it note. They're um, on my Paul Casey post-it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number one, the strokes gained peak die is Dustin Johnson. So um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll publish the full data so everyone can uh, pour through that. But uh, interesting stuff. Um, whether it holds any correlation or not, but you know we've seen a number of times, haven't we, that players um, some some players really get on with peak die tracks. Some really don't get on with peak die tracks. So um, it could be a uh, could be a little bit to to glean from that data the the interesting one from the preview you sent out to us paul is uh rory would be miles up the list uh what is he just uh, just a little bit outside the top 10 so 13th 14th 15th he'd be way up the list with um even flat strokes gained putting absolutely yeah yeah he yeah. he tops strokes gained off the tee for pete die he tops strokes gained tee to green for Pete Dye tracks too. So um, if you can infer that this week's or next next week's task is not going to be all about um, gaining strokes from tee to green and from off the tee, um, your long game performance, then 
Mm. Rory McIlroy on Pete Dye tracks historically has really mastered those. So uh, no surprise that he's the favourite. Getting that uh, that link into Quail Hollow you talked about before, Steve, um, clearly won there last week as well. So um, lots to like about Rory. The price is the only thing that, uh, that will put some punters off, I'm sure, because he's been absolutely hammered over the last uh, last few days. Whether that should stop you, I don't know. It's uh, you know, values in the eye of the beholder, as ever. He really ruined my staking plan for this whole event. I was planning on banging a big bet on him at like hoping to get 16s, you know, for next week. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a sniff of 18s. So that was my plan. Was back him first round leader last week. He goes off hot, just fizzles and fixes things over the weekend. Finishes 11th. But uh, clearly didn't uh, align with my thoughts. He decided to win instead, and now I'm now I'm kind of stuck in that uh, quandary. Like, do I do I deepen the number of points I go on him yeah, and back him yeah. at that 10, 11 to one? Maybe get an odds boost to twelve. And yeah, you uh, might get twelves next week. Yeah. Or do, do I kind of do I sit on it and don't back him straight away from the off? And hope that he's a couple of shots off the lead and his price drifts a tiny bit on the machine. Like it's it's in that zone of doubt now. Um, on yeah, what to I do guess with it all, yeah, I guess it also depends whether you you intending to to take an each way view on him. You know, at twelve to one, you probably yeah. you know you, you you could argue that there's there's value in that, particularly if you're getting ten places, which you'd expect to get. Sure, um, sure. As yeah. the weekend approaches. I- you know, if he's uh, I'm gonna, I'm eight, gonna try, to one. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to try to be careful about launching bets a bit early on this. You know, just uh, when it comes to being able to track the weather, uh, just to yeah. see what wind is coming in, uh, yeah. you know, whether there's a draw bias. And it mm. sounds like um, I particularly loved the fried egg overview video of the course and just their little insights into the, the fact that the wind can change direction day by day or even in you know during a day and there could be a quite distinct draw bias when it comes to this event so I, I think I might be it's tempting to grab some early prices you know but it's also you know you could be grabbing prices on guys that might not have a chance and you might only get one or two out of their side of the draw featuring in the top 10 or 15 players just because they get blown out of it on Thursday and Friday Last week was a prime example of that, wasn't it? It yeah. was one the Quail Hollow was that was one one of, if not the most biased draws um on PJ Tour history. It was over two strokes. Um it worked for the PMAM starters, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's phenomenal when it kicks in like that. To that extent, it's real real open championship yeah. kind of draw bias. And- I'm pretty certain that one of the ones that wasn't in on the right side of the draw was Abraham Anser, which makes that runner-up position even more impressive. Phenomenal. He was on when the it, wrong side of the draw, I believe. Man, he's great to watch when he's just just like just firing lasers at pins. When he when he when if he figures it out, he he could you could see him going to grab a few wins, you know, over his career, you know, maybe two or three wins over like an 18-month stretch and, yeah. and you wouldn't bat an eyelid at it. No, he's impressive, mate. I'd say another trend here. Um, twenty Going back to 2011, um, there are two courses that don't fit this. One of them was last year because they played this last year, of course, 
over in San Francisco at TPC Harding Park. And I said at the time, and it was true, that was a 7,234-yard par 70. So it wasn't one of these incredibly long, stretching PGA Championships. It was one of the rare ones that was on a tighter course, as was Oak Hill in 2013. And we can cast our mind back to 2013 when Jason Duffner won that. But on on these long stretching golf courses, I'm going back to Keegan Bradley. He won at Atlanta, uh, at, uh, what was it? Atlanta Athletic, and that was a yeah, long yeah. golf course. These were the season driving distance in yards of the winners of the PGA Championship. Going back to Bradley, 301 Bradley, 312 Rory in 2012. 306 Rory in 2014, Valhalla. Jason Day, the week he won at, or the year he won at Whistling Straits, was 314 yards. Jimmy Walker averaged 301 yards. Justin Thomas, 310. Brooks Kepka 313 and 309. Colin Murakawa, 297 yards was his average off the tee, winning on a what I'd classify as a non-PGA Championship typical course. I don't foresee players that aren't getting the ball over 300 yards off the tee winning this week. I mean, that kind of backs that up. I think we're looking for longer hitters. Yeah, and the other thing about uh, Paspalum or Paspalum, I'm not sure of the exact phonetically uh, correct pronunciation of it. Paspalum. Excuse me. Sorry about that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) The... it doesn't run as fast as Bermuda no. grass, so no, it no, do- no. it. Even though the golf course might be quite firm, the ball's not going to roll out as much as it would do as I say an Open Championship or a firm and uh, fiery Bermuda grass course. So yeah. I think that distance in the air or just carry distance of drives to, uh, could could be a little bit more weighted than just total driving distance. Mm. I mean, it's just a small percentage, but these are the little kind of angles we're trying to figure out to try help form the or back up our thoughts on who we want to back. I'm just I'm flicking through, and I know that with David Lynn, you know, and this doesn't mean that players won't get into contention. It doesn't mean that players won't get each way returns, but in my mind, it kind of means they probably won't win. But I'm seeing, say, Siwoo Kim. I'm seeing Justin Rose this season. I'm seeing Daniel Burgo, who's going to be very popular. Tommy Fleetwood, Jordan Spieth. All of these players are significantly short of 300 yards off the tee this season. Hideki Matsuama's another. Harris English. Um, you know, there's quite a few. Tyrrell Hatton. Big, big names that just aren't approaching this 300 yards. Corey Connors, who's clearly one of the best players strokes gain tee to green merchants on the planet right now he averages 295 off the tee so you know it's something just to bear in mind here Colin Morikawa the defending champions down at 294 off the tee so you know if if you're looking at looking at ways of trying to bring down a list of elite players to something more manageable and you're looking purely for a winner not an each way return you know, that 300 and above number seems very, very consistent, very consistent from year to year on these longer PGA Championship courses. One caveat on speed, though, just thinking back to his early performances this season, 
hitting very low percentage fairways means you're not getting the run of the fairways if you're hitting it into yep. rough and you're you're hitting it off trees that are putting the ball back down the fairway on you so yeah. you know for him to have look right now his stats he's got 297 yards off the tee and he's 52 and a bit percent for driving accuracy so that's 192nd on tour so it is a little bit more. I suppose we'd have to dig in a little bit more to oh. his recent performances to get a more yeah. clear and accurate picture about uh, of Jordan versus his um, early, you know, his entire season stats. Yeah, I agree. Two ninety four, he averaged off the tee at Augusta, and when he won with uh, the Texas Open a few weeks ago, he was three hundred and seven yards off the tee. He was twenty third for driving distance. So it, I think mm. it was running out pretty fast that week. There's always vagaries of that measurement anyway, isn't there? Because of the way that they yeah. measure it and the limited number of holes. And as you say, Barry, if you're hitting fairways or not. Uh, but yeah, generally, over the course of a season, a player who continues to perform or continues to stay near the top of that stat is likely to be uh, yeah, in, the, in the right position. He's likely to be longer than the rest. But yeah, going back to the raw metrics of this track, 7,800 yards, it's a long track. You're going to need to be able mm-hmm. to put the ball out there a bit. Which I think There's a reasonable hurt. bit of width in the fairways, though, so I think yeah. it's it's yeah. probably more a case of total driving or even just focusing yeah. purely on driving distance um, or maybe weighted a bit more towards distance over accuracy because um, it's getting it out there to give yourself the chance to go into these elevated, domed, raised greens uh, that just repel the ball from all sides. You know, Getting in there with the shorter clubs will, will make life an awful lot easier. Talking Jordan Spieth, I was listening to his um, pre-Byron Nelson press conference yesterday. And he actually said in the press conference, he knows that the most difficult major was always going to be for him, the PGA Championship. Because it is effectively the domain of the big, long drivers. He said this in the press conference. So, you know, he, he knows in his own mind. I, it's like Rory McIlroy. No one could really believe that Rory McIlroy's first major was a US Open because that was always going to be the diff, most difficult, trickiest one for him to win. But he won it on a golf course that had received about 500 millimetres of water and was playing long and as soft as you liked. And he won at 17 under like, par. Playing <laughs> like an old school PGA. Yeah, at 17 under par. So he yeah. effectively won a PGA Championship as a US Open, didn't he? Yeah, masquerading, yeah. Playing yeah. dress-up for Halloween. You got it. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying about total driving. I don't, I don't think... That's one of the numbers that you do take from 2012. Even guys that were low down in terms of their driving accuracy were still hitting over 60% of fairways. Mm. The difficulty here is that if you're long, wild off the tee, and you're missing fairways, you're you're in some really nasty fescue, water, sand, you name it, you're in it. Yeah, you're in a, you're in a one shot penalty situation almost instantly. Yeah, yeah, Straight yeah. Away. Or, or yeah, or maybe a reload situation. But yeah, so it's uh, it's quite binary when you get to that extremely wild off the tee uh, stage. Hmm. I've got some numbers here just for um, last you know last eight weeks, which is what I put in my previews every week. Um, just. As we sit here without the AT&T Byron Nelson and also 
the um, Betfred British Masters. But these are, I mean, just um, strokes gain approach, for example. Um, top 12 last eight weeks. Morikara at 12, Wallace at 11, Daniel Berger and John Catlin, who's been going well on the European Tour at 9, Hideki at 8, Stuart Sink at 7, there you go. Uh, four tied Corey Connors, Shane Lowry, and Webb Simpson. Three Martin Keimer, two Jordan Spieth, and number one Mark Leishman. Um, if you're looking for that from a strokes game perspective, um, Danny Van Tonder at one, Jordan Spieth at two, Martin Keimer three, Mark Leishman four, Colin Morikawa five, Victor Hovland six. Aaron Wright, seven. Corey Connors, Charlie Hoffman, Hideki Matsuama, Zander, and Matt Wallace, all tied for eighth. If I take away the European data, that becomes Spieth, one. Leishman, two. Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Corey Connors, Charlie Hoffman, Hideki Matsuama, Zander, Matt Wallace, and then we've got Justin Thomas at ten. Tyrrell Hatton, eleven. Keegan Bradley, twelve. Leishman's Those are in some decent metrics, isn't he? He had a very good outing at the um, at the Masters, which we've got some rough stats yeah. from the Masters in there. Right. Has that bumped his numbers a lot, or is it? Yeah, if he goes badly, of course, this week at the AT and T, he won't feature. So he's yeah. one of the ones actually playing this week. If you're looking at strokes gained total, last twelve, uh, last eight weeks, top twelve, Matt Wallace, who we have to say has been playing some great golf recently. He's tied with Abe Anser at 11. Nine is Keegan Bradley, another one we've already mentioned, and Brian Harmon. Seven is Charlie Chuck Hoffman, Colin Morikawa. Six is Webb Simpson. Five is Cam Smith, who I think is an interesting name here. I can remember Cam Smith top sixing at the US Open that they played, the one that Dustin Johnson threw away and gave to Jordan Spieth. So he's got history of doing well at majors by the coast as Cam Smith. Three, Victor Hovland and Xander Schauffele tied. Two, Mark Leishman. Number one, Jordan Spieth. There's no names in there that are really surprising you. I mean, we know that Wallace is playing well. Answer. Spieth's been playing out of his skin. Victor Hovland, Xander. I suppose the, the surprise here, there's none of the true elite in those strokes going total numbers, are there, apart from Spieth? And, and some would argue that Spieth isn't elite at the moment when he's still ranked 28th in the world or whatever in the number is. No, there's still but, question marks over a lot of them, much the same ones that we had before Augusta. Yep. And they haven't really answered those question marks, have they, a lot of them? Well, except for a certain Mr. McElroy, who... Yeah, McElroy yeah. has, but Rahm hasn't, really. No, Thomas, DeChambeau's DJ, still very Bryson. hit and miss. DJ seems to be having an injury, although he's jumping off of boats and doing somersaults. <laughs> JT can't find the putter. You know, there, there's question marks across a lot of the guys short in the market. I know that you, Barry, and myself are going to be very tempted on one Xander at twenty-two to one with Paddy Power right now. It's he's just so consistent at getting into the places. For, for majors, I think, what was it the last time I checked? It was, uh, he was nearly 50% of his major appearances he gets into the pay, the like the extended places with the bookies. I'll just yeah. look it up here while we're, while we're talking. But yeah, yeah. It's that's, consistent, that's, isn't it? that's almost getting, you're almost getting a free roll on him to to winning. If you just keep bet, auto bet him. It's not quite perfect math, but 
it's not far off. And you, like, I think we all believe that he's going to win one. Yeah, oh, no, the door, the door, like, how, how can he not win a major, Xander? The, when you mm. just keep constantly being in the mix, he's got the power, hasn't he? And you actually look at his record. Um, he won at Kapalua, didn't he, by the coast? Um, start of this year, he'd always had the Torrey Pines, which was his home course, had always been his bogey course. He was right up in the mix that week with Patrick Reed winning at Torrey Pines. He's got a lot of decent coastal forms, Ander. So here, here, here we go. He has played 15 majors in his career, and he has eight top tens. Wow. And of those top, say, just to qualify it even further, when I say top tens, of those eight top tens, seven of them are top sixes. Yeah, like, each way machine. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's an auto bet for me. Yeah. He, like, is, the, is the Tony Finau of the major championships? That's just, that's, that, those are the kind of stats. That, I mean, Fina's not a million miles behind him either when you come to the majors records. I think he's something like seven out of 16 for getting into uh, the places. You know, and, and this is, I know we all want to get the hit the winner in a major because it feels a little bit more satisfying because it's the big event and you've managed to drill it down, you got, and you called it. But there is, harking back to the review we had from um, our friend Ozzy, it's about surviving, you know, it's about keeping the betting going week on week. So you have the, you know, the, you're not just dipping into like your savings or your bank account. You want to keep the bank roll financing your bets for the next week. And look, yeah, the, the chances are you might not catch the winner at the BJ Championship. But if you catch the couple of places that cover your bets for the week, okay, no, no loss, on to the next week. I also just I always do this with the majors and the research pods. I like to just recount and recap first time major winners and their prices. Because I always get to the point of looking at John Rahm and thinking to myself, oh, four, you know, twelve to one to win his first major. Where does that sit? Well, Hideki Matsuama's was forty five to one when he won the Masters this year. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau at the US Open in uh, the fall last year was 25 to 1. Colin Morikawa was 35 to 1. We go back to the Open Championship of 2019. Shane Lowry was a 70 to 1 shot. US Open, Gary Woodland, the podcast favourite, was 80 to 1. 2018 Open, Francesco Molinari, 33 to 1. 2018 Masters, Patrick Reed's first and only major to date, 50 to 1. And Justin Thomas, when he won the 2017 PGA Championship, was a 45 to 1 shot, as was Brooks Kepka, that was his first major winning price, and Sergio Garcia. So if Sander yeah. was to win at 22 to 1, he's short in that list. In fact, he's the shortest. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, Hovland fits as well, doesn't he? At twenty fives or twenty eights, that's a kind of acceptable price for a first time major winner. Here's a compelling one for Tony now to catch him. He's available at almost forties in some places, thirty threes quite widely, and let's hope he stays at that price when we get to ten places or even more next week. We're going to narrow it down to just from twenty eighteen. He's played twelve majors since twenty eighteen. Have a guess at how many top tens he's had since in those twelve majors. Wow. 
Steve, any 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 up on seven? Um, I can remember writing it in one of my sets of tips. Is it? it could, is it? I think it's eight or nine. He's eight out of twelve. Mm. His last twelve majors, he's in the top ten. So anyone half sensible would throw Finau and Xander into their into their um, major portfolio just as an insurance policy, if nothing else, yet just to cover the week. They almost cover themselves. Like if you just auto bet them for majors, it's it's astonishing. The other thing with Fino is, and I've mentioned this in previous pods, you actually look at him when that nasty weather at Shane Lowry won the Open 2019. Mm. Fino was in the top three. It's not as if he yeah. can't hang around on coastal horrible courses in terrible weather. He can. He's a kind of he can kind of do everything. Tony, apart from win and apart from play well on the golf course. <laughs> well, he's just stuck that. with that Puerto Rico Open curse, isn't he? On Paspalum Greens. Yeah, yeah. Paspalum. Yeah, exactly. On the Paspalum. So if, if there's ever a way to break that uh, Puerto Rico Open curse, it would be to do it at a major. Now, he's been a little, he's been a little bit iffy the last couple of performances, though. So he has get, been, I, and if, I, if you're looking at that GIR strokes gained of previous winners, you're not going to find Finau in any of those numbers at all. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's doing it on purpose to ease his price out for us, take the pressure off his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to make it a more attractive price barrier for you to nail that winner. Oh, it'd be nice, it would. I, I don't think you'd have anybody would be hating on it either. Like, no, 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 no. I know seems you'd be like a great dude. Yeah. I think we had Matthew Wolf withdraw today just to throw that did, into yeah. the mix. Mm. And we have got a full list of alternates. So the field is pretty much set, I believe. One last thing to mention, Victor's two PGA Tour victories, which I know have been in small events, but Puerto Rico and the Mayakoba Classic, both on Passparlum greens and Passparlum golf courses. Yep. It's kind yeah. of written yeah, if you stars look at some of the- to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. If you look at some of the some of the European players that are coming over as well, you've got a few of those guys that have got some good Paspalum uh, records as well, and uh, I'm sure a few of them are going to going to get some attention this week. Uh, uh, you know, are to- there any Europeans that you think, especially our American listeners that listen to the pod, might be able to throw an eye at from a DraftKings, well, you know, perspective? Yeah. Or the, the the challenge is, you know, there's some very talented guys there can they get themselves into a position to either you know squeak an each way payout from the extended places or as you say you know outperform their price on uh, on DraftKings DraftKings yeah yeah there's a, there's a few that I think are worth consideration uh, Garrick Higo clearly over the last few weeks has been outstanding um, not European yeah, <laughs> Europe sorry I'll, I'll recategorise European tour yeah. players yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 so yeah, I'm yeah. I've, I've taken that as European tour. So yes, um, he, he won that's, in Gran that's Canaria. That's what I was getting at. It, it was, yeah. a, it was <laughs> badly worded. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, South Africans it, are always lumped in the honorary yeah, European category when it comes to the majors, almost, right? Yeah, almost European yeah. in that respect. Um, but no, he plays the European tour. I've been playing the European tour very, very well. Um, one in Gran Canaria, which was on Pasquale Greens. Um, got some form in Mauritius and Qatar. Has been rather. Around the top twenty, a couple of times there, um, and uh, he's three wins now. He's won three times since uh, lockdown was eased. 
opened to Portugal, Gran Canary, Tenerife last week, all of them on coastal tracks as well. Um, he's undoubtedly going to get some attention next week. He's 100 to 1 or thereabouts in places, 7,400 on DraftKings. Uh, for me, he's a putter. I think, you know, he's a very aggressive and talented guy. I I wonder on PGA Tour or PGA Championship debut whether it will be, um, you know, his bag really. But I'll be fascinated to see how he goes, Gary Kigo. Um, a little bit more suited, I guess, is probably someone like Antoine Rosner, who's long, is a, a total driving, ball striking um, expert. That's where right. he's. Uh, that's where his game really is. And if you look back on his European tour record, he's got um, second in Mauritius in 2019, 10th uh, in Amman in um, 2020. He won in Qatar earlier this year as well, which is another passport okay. track. And I think he's more suited to a, a tougher test. And I think this will kind of play more to his strengths. Third at Valderrama, which is one of the toughest, if not the toughest, test on the European tour. Um, so what Rosner's a multiple winner on the European tour now, and it could be well worth a look. 6,600 on DraftKings, 250 to 1. Uh, John Catlin's another one. Um, John Catlin won recently. All of his wins, he's got three now. Um, they all came on, on tougher tracks as well. Valderrama, yeah. um, Irish Open he won last year. Um, Austrian Open at uh, Diamond Country Club, which was another tough one. And again, he's a kind of a, an accurate uh, GIR um, player, high GIR player. So, uh, he's the kind of player that could, again, you know, outperform his price, outperform his DraftKings uh, salary, 6,800 to 1. So, yeah, there's those those three that are well worth a look. There's a few others I've noted. Victor Perez, 150 to 1. In fact, 200 to 1 I've got uh, noted down. He can play in the wind. He can, yeah. One, one of Dunhill yeah. links back in 2019. Bear in mind, he finished fourth in Saudi behind Dustin Johnson yeah. on Passbroom Greens. Um, and that was yeah. a loaded event, wasn't it? It was ninth of the players. He was the players, yeah. semi-finalist at the World Match Play. Yeah. And missed the cut of the Masters last time out. And uh, he's now 200 to 1. I, I, I'm struggling with that. I think he's. Um, I think he should be... Uh, much, I mean, he deserves much more respect for that. He's currently, he's currently in the Ryder Cup team as he's well, totally, isn't he? That's yeah. how well the guy's been playing. Yeah. I remember you asking and me a question yeah. right at the start of the year, Steve, as to you know a player who could sneak into that team. And... Uh, my knee-jerk yeah. reaction was Victor Perez, and should he go well at some of these major championships, he'll put himself right in the ballpark for that. Um, he's finished fourth at a WGC in the past, uh, a straight play event in the WGC HSBC Champions. He was second at Wentworth last year. Um, but yeah, I, uh, there's, there's a lot to like for a player who's 200 to 1, I must say. Going back to Rosner, he mm. played in the WGC World Match Play. That was his first kind of bow on yeah. the American stage. He finished second in his group behind Tommy Fleetwood and he beat Bryson DeChambeau and Siwoo Kim on a Pete Dye golf course. I know it's match play. But clearly he wasn't overawed, was he? No. So you're so you're saying Rosner, you're saying John Catlin, and you're saying Victor Perez as potentially outperforming their DraftKings prices. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see that. There's, there's a few. I mean, you could also make a case for Rasmus Hogard, who got himself in despite being outside yep. the um, top 100. He's um, one in Mauritius, another Paspalum track. Sammy Valamak is one in Oman. Um, Kurt Kitchiyam is one in Oman and Mauritius. All three of those could, uh, could again, be... Uh, you know, players that could could make the cut and at uh, silly low salaries on DraftKings could uh, could be a good 
uh, you know, value play further down the list. So, well, so there, you go, f- there you go, DraftKings players. Some some European tour insight there into players that you probably never heard of, but can potentially make the cut and far outperform a lot of bigger name players that don't make it to the weekend at the PGA Championship. Quite possibly. What about your favourite one to pronounce, Christian Bezadenhout? Yeah, He's a scrambling and putting machine. He is. The long game's a bit iffy at the moment, but yeah, well, we, did, he... we did highlight the importance of scrambling, and he's he's not playing. He hasn't played since the RBC Heritage, so you have to assume he's off there, really digging into the game. Yeah, just another one to just another one to mention and you know, to put into the analysis. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a very capable player on tougher tracks as well, and and um, when he when he hit that purple patch of form at the back end of last year, it was was when he found um, that long game, which um, mm. you know you marry up a long game with his fantastic putting and short game, as you just said, then uh, you know that's a very potent combination. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of players that are they're not even just bubbling below the surface. They're quite a long way down the list who you could. Uh, you could use to bolster your teams or to potentially sneak into one of those top 10 positions for an each-way power next year, or next week, rather. I think at this stage, that's just about it, isn't it, gentlemen? Have you either of you got anything else to add that you want to bring to the party? Bring on next week. Yeah, no, all good. Yeah, can't wait. Should be a cracker. Should be a cracker. I think it's going to be uh, one of those majors that's kind of pretty unique and, you know... As ever, we're just hoping for a close, well-thought-out uh, major between some of the bigger names and some surprises in there as well. Mm. All of our content at Golf Betting System, which, as you guys know, is completely free of charge, will be available from Monday of the PGA Championship. So my betting preview will be available. A lot of tournament statistics, our predictor models uh, predictor model will be available. We'll be um, recording our podcast next Tuesday. So that will come out Tuesday morning in the UK, um, very early Tuesday morning over in the United States and Canada. So that's the timescales that we're working to. I will put a link to this detailed research preview in the description box. I might also put a link, Barry, to that YouTube video that's gone up from the fried egg because that's got a real, as you said, fantastic breakdown of the golf course and some mm-hmm. insight there as to how it plays and how difficult it can be. So I'll put a link to that as well. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. I hope um, I hope that your bets go well at this week's Byron Nelson and um, we will reconvene on Tuesday. Thanks for your time. If you like betting on golf Everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved With all the stats and the tips and so much more Cause it's the golf betting system The golf betting system is the golf betting system